Welcome to Five Clubs Golf, my new home in media. I'm Gary Williams. Great to have you with us. And what is Five Clubs? And what are we going to be doing? Well, we're going to be building a roster of contributors, people who are going to be giving their viewpoint on the game of golf with total autonomy to use the time they have however way they want to. And that's going to be the case with me as well. When I assessed what I was going to do after leaving Golf Channel, I looked at a lot of things, and I've been contributing a little bit, just a little bit, on SiriusXM's PGA Tour Radio, and appreciate all the folks over there. I may or may not continue to do that, but what I am doing is investing all of my time in Five Clubs Golf. This is a media platform as an extension to a company that has been in business for 25 years, Signature Sports Group, which is based right here in Charlotte, North Carolina. The proprietor of that business, Steve Hall, has been a very dear friend of mine for the better part of two decades, and he has built a very good business. And he has, for a long time, wanted to get into the golf space. And how is he going to do it? Well, they have a lot of core strengths in what they do. And one of the things that I obviously do is talk. So the media platform is a core part of what Signature Golf Group as an extension of Signature Sports Group is going to be. But it will also be event creation and event management. It'll be marketing services and hospitality. There are a number of things that we expect to do aspirationally when it comes to the game of golf to try to advance the game as best we can. But most importantly, what we want to do here is just have a continuing conversation about something that we all value, and that is the game of golf. And whether it be talking about the professional game, the amateur game, whether it's the industry or the business of golf, women's golf, whatever it may be, we'd like to believe that you're going to find that conversation right here. Not to mention the fact that we are going to construct and build out a very robust website that's going to house all of our content. Plus, you're going to be able to find it on all the digital platforms and at YouTube as well. So Five Clubs Golf, what is Five Clubs? Well, it's actually an homage to the original Five Clubs that constructed the USGA at its inception. Newport, which is obviously in Newport, Rhode Island, the Country Club at Brookline, Chicago Golf Club, Shinnecock Hills out on Long Island, and St. Andrews on the Hudson in New York. So we look at ourselves and we think, no, we're, we're not those clubs in their present form. What we are is a foundational base to begin what we think is going to be a healthy conversation about golf. And I was thinking, you know, where do we start? Who do we start with? Well, we wanted to start with somebody whose voice matters, somebody who has uh, obviously tremendous weight in what he has to say. And the person we chose was a six-time major champion, somebody who is the oldest major champion in the history of men's golf, and somebody who's going to be an assistant captain for the United States Ryder Cup team next year. He is a member of the World Golf Hall of Fame, class of 2012. And so we are going to start today our first conversation on Five Clubs Golf with Phil Mickelson. I'll start by saying good morning to the first guest. I could have picked anybody, but I picked this guy, and rightfully so. Phil Mickelson. Phil, good morning. Good morning, Gary. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, thank you for doing this. Listen, let's start with where you are, which is up there at Whistling Straits. You guys are prepping for next week's Ryder Cup. When did the conversation with you and Steve Stricker shift from you being on the team to you being an assistant captain of the team? Uh, 
I mean, fairly recently, we hadn't really talked much because I know he was trying to give me space to try to play. But I mean, Gary, I, I, I knew that I had not played consistently at a high level for a long period of time. And uh, outside of the win of the PGA Championship, I hadn't really played at the highest level for, for a while. And so as a Ryder Cup captain, you want somebody that's played consistently well. You want somebody that, that you know what you're getting. And uh, the, the picks that Captain Stricter came up with, um, I think, really make a great 12-man team. And uh, I'm really curious and excited to, to see how it goes next week and to be a part of it. You know, Phil, this construction of this team, there's six rookies on the side. Some have international team experience. Do you feel that this may be the big pivot for this group to now be the core of this team going forward? A hundred percent I do because we have such great young talented players and this will be the nucleus of the the American team going forward for the next decade plus and uh, I think that they are being put in a position to succeed and their talent will take it from there that's kind of the idea and uh, I'm very impressed with the details the work the the effort and the the way all the vice captains and captains have worked together to uh, create a, an environment and a team that will allow them to succeed. But you still have to get out on the golf course and play some great golf in a very pressure packed environment. You know, one thing that I've I've sensed is that the President's Cup and the Ryder Cup used to be truly separate entities and they they still are in terms of who manages them. But I get the feeling that there is a vision that is USA Golf that you're a big part of. Is that fair? I think that using uh, having the opportunity to play every year in these team events with the addition of the President's Cup should give the U.S. Uh, a distinct advantage if we use that in our favor. And I think that the teams are now starting to do that, starting to integrate and give uh, players an opportunity to play with each other more often, right, each year. Also, vice captains get an idea of how to, to communicate and get the best out of the, the players as well as the captain on how to give them the best opportunity to succeed. So we really should be using it as a way um, to enhance our, our playing in these team events. At first we didn't, but I think we're starting to do that now. You know, Phil, Jack Nicholas told me five years ago, he said, Phil is the best teammate that I've ever coached. And, and obviously he's, he has been the captain of a number of teams. What is it about this environment that you gravitated toward at an early age when you were built to win alone and play the game in a solitary fashion? Why did you find yourself attracted to this? So I've always loved the team golf aspect, going back to college where you have teammates to be accountable for. You also get to practice together, work together, and that helps get the best out of you. And so when you have people that you enjoy being around and are accountable to and also supporting you, you oftentimes can play at a level higher than you ever thought possible. Uh, we've seen it uh, before with Ryder Cup with some, some of the young players that you, uh, you haven't really heard of since, but they played this amazing golf in the Ryder Cup, and there's no reason why we couldn't do that as well. And so even though golf is a very individual sport, and I love going out and playing in the solitude in the evening by myself or playing with friends or family and just uh, enjoy the day. The team aspect of it um, has some real benefits to it that, that is fun and exciting as a player. You know, the, the interchangeable aspect of what I think the construct of this team is, 
I think that you have a lot of potential choices to make uh, being part of the captaincy. Bryson DeChambeau, Phil, you know him as well as anybody. Do you get the sense that there are a couple of guys that make the most sense to partner with him? I know there's a lot of guys that want to play with him, and there's a lot of guys that want to play with each other because he's such a um, obviously a great driver of the golf ball, an incredible putter, and he comes at the the game in a, in a different way. So when I've played with him, I've learned a lot. So I know a lot of guys want to play with him, and I think that uh, this is a good golf course for Bryson and for a lot of guys, for everybody on the team, a lot of guys on the team. But this is a good golf course for Bryson too. Have you ever theorized as to why? Europe has had so much success. Players change. Uh, the, the culture may be similar. Do you have any theory as to why they've done so well in the last 20 years? Uh, yeah, I do. <laughs> I mean, I've seen it. Uh, uh, I see the way they support each other, and I see the way that they have this foundation of, of support amongst each other that, to lift each other up. I see them walking together uh, side by side in in the fairways and uh with a with a uh, vision of solidarity if you will i see them helping each other get the best best out of each other i see a game plan heading into uh the matches i see very little uncertainty everybody knows when they're going to play potentially and who they're going to play with i think that type of um structure makes it easier or gets rid of some of the anxiety and the pressure because you know what to expect and it, it puts you in a position to play your best and to succeed ultimately. Um, I think that's uh, I think that's a, in, in general uh, what I see and I see the U.S. starting to do that. We've been doing that and I think we're going to start to play some of our best golf in the coming years. I really do. And Phil, one of the other things that I think is has been a factor in in, U- in the USA going in the direction you are is the investment that, that Tiger has made in team golf. Have you seen his mindset and in terms of conversations that you've had with him uh, during these team competitions that it's changed in the last 20 years? I, I think so. I think that he's really uh, kind of let down his guard where he would not want to share uh, a lot of himself to the team and uh, in the past for fear of maybe letting uh, down some of that uh, intimidation factor that he might have. And now he is uh, much more engaging and helpful with the guys. And, and when he speaks, everybody's going to listen because he's the greatest that's ever played. So the opportunity to hear things that he has to say uh, is very insightful for, for everyone. And so his ability to connect and engage with the players has been a big factor of, uh, of having the guys succeed. You know, people have seen the optics of, of you guys together in these environments, and, and it gets people excited because you are the two most important figures in, in U.S. golf and global golf, really, in the last quarter century. How has your relationship evolved with him? Uh, I mean, I've always and will always have appreciation for what he's done for the game of golf because I've said in the past that nobody's benefited more from what he has done in growing the game and getting the game from the back page to the front page of the sports section, which uh, we don't really have sports sections anymore, but at the time. <laughs> and so uh, I've benefited more than anybody. So I will always be appreciative for what he's done. And as our careers uh, come to, you know, close out here, uh, it's much easier for us to kind of let go of that uh, confrontation, if you will, and competitiveness and uh, work together. And I thought the first time that we really did that well was, 
uh, getting ready for the 2016 Ryder Cup. And that was uh, that was kind of a big, big breakthrough, if you will, where he really got invested into the, the team golf. Phil Mickelson, our guest here on Five Clubs. And Phil, you mentioned the PGA. Let, let's go back to that, because the one thing that I've always believed about you is there's this level of resiliency um, I, I think 2013 is a perfect example. I think your win at the Open Championship is one of the great wins considering what had just transpired at Marion and your ability to bounce straight back from that. Where did you find what you found? Uh, and I'm talking intellectually more than the physical part when you went to Kiowa that week. What was it? So there's there's been a lot of things over the course of my career that I've learned from at um, I look back on in 2013 the the open that you talk about was a a big thing for me because after the U.S. Open loss it was it was really hard on me I had played really well I expected to win I've never won the U.S. Open and for about a week I was in Montana with uh, my family and some uh, a couple of our friends and I was really down for a while it took me a few few days maybe a week to kind of get over it and I remember thinking uh, that I'm playing such great golf at this moment. I cannot let this affect these upcoming events. And I kind of turned it around. I went out to the golf course that day and hit a few balls and kind of had a, a moment there and played a little golf with Tom Weisskopf, hmm. um, who designed the course, who I'm, by the way, pulling for. I know he's been struggling yeah. with um, some health issues and we're all, we're all pulling for him. But I remember playing with him and having really – interesting conversations on some of the things that went on in his career. And I got refocused and went over to the open championship, had really one of the greatest two week stretches of, of my career, winning the Scottish open the week before, and then following it up with the open championship. It was uh, you taking a negative and turning it into a positive. Whereas Kiowa, um, I've had this belief that um, I can play golf at the highest level uh, because there's nothing really holding me back physically, but mentally, I needed to get there and I needed to get a few aspects of my swing uh, down. And Andrew Getson really helped me with that. He really helped me to uh, strike the ball the way I needed to strike it. And then hitting this little low running two wood shot where there's plenty of room at Kiowa, but it got rid of the really big miss that has haunted me throughout my career. It kept the ball down and, and on the ground a lot quicker has allowed me to to play that golf course and some others without making the big mistake. So um, I went in there with a lot of confidence and a lot of belief and ended up being able to stay present. I, I remember I look at myself and think about how I would or see how I was in a, a little bit different mental uh, focus. I was much more calm and like almost in a little bubble. I'm going to strive to get to that mental place because I'm curious if I can have more of those experiences because that was such a, a an emotional and uplifting experience for me that um, if I can get in that mental frame of mind again, I, I think I and believe that I can have some more of those experiences. And and if not, that's okay too because uh, what a what a great what a great way to, to kind of have that be as my last win. But I think that I might be able to have a few more if I'm able to focus the way I did there. You know, Phil, that that week, not only the engagement that you had with your brother Tim. Uh, I agree with you. I thought that it looked like the cognitive breathing you were doing, uh, the, the way that you were methodically going about the, the execution of each shot. I, I think of the second on the 10th hole 
um, the creation of something, visualizing something in your mind, seeing it in the air, and then and then executing it. I thought that encapsulated the entire week. Uh, if you'll just talk a little bit more about that moment, and I thought that that was as good a swing and as good a, uh, a golf shot as you hit all week. So thank you, and um, that was a, a kind of a pivotal moment, I guess, because it, it, it allowed me to start to pull away a little bit and get a bit bigger lead, but to to kind of rifle a seven iron in there into that wind, the wind and change, it was playing much longer than it had before. Uh, I couldn't carry the bunker on the right. So I had to drive it up the left. I hit a good tee shot and then uh, took on that left pin and uh, hit it right behind the hole. It was a, a very penetrating seven iron that kind of cut back into the wind and held its line. And um, I remember, you know, I've, I've hit those shots so many times in my career, but being able to pull them out at the moment, uh, that you need it like that's the challenge and being able what you say visualize it see it feel it stay in the moment and create that feeling and execute it through through impact uh, when you need it that's what's that's what's exciting and what I haven't done is had that level of intensity and focus throughout 72 holes throughout 280 shots and so that's what I'm that's what I'm uh, trying to work on is ways to to get a little bit sharper uh, mentally because physically I, I really like where Andrew gets and has gotten my golf swing to be on plane, simple and hit, be able to maneuver the ball both ways up and down. But I've got to pull those out uh, when I need it. Like I did there on 10. Getting, um, getting all the, the major championship exemptions, it, it alters your viewpoint. I would imagine on, on the coming years, uh, how much does it change the way you're going to focus over the next three to five years? So it's interesting because I was act, I'm actually in all the majors except the U.S. Open. So the PGA has gotten me into right. the next, you know, five U.S. Opens, let's say, and uh, gives me opportunities in the in the coming years. And and I look at a few of the open sites like like Country Club of Brookline, where we're playing next year, and think that that's a golf course where length is not going to be as big a factor, right? It, the, there's a lot of beautiful, intricate holes with a lot of character, but aren't overwhelming you with power and so uh it's a golf course that i actually feel i could i could play well on and i'll try to focus and be ready for those events and give me a a a real shot at trying to ultimately win a u.s open which i've never done that would be the the final thing for me if i if i were to do that i would probably retire the next day i think that'd be a great (laughs) way to uh to go out but it it ends me by winning uh, the pga it uh keeps me thinking about the possibility of trying to win a U.S. Open in the coming years. Phil, you were you were very complimentary of the setup at Torrey this year by the USGA. But overall, over the last 10, 15 years, what is it about the setup um, that has either been inconsistent or something you haven't exactly been a fan of? So I think the addition to Jason Gore, who used to play the PGA Tour to the yep. USGA uh, committee, I, I think has been the greatest thing for the USJ because he, he has such great insight. Uh, the difficulty comes with um, when we play on golf courses that have been built hundred years ago, the green speeds were seven on the stint meter. And so when we try to keep that same character uh, from, from the great courses, and then we, we use modern day equipment to get the green speeds at what we're able to uh, the math the math doesn't add up in certain situations, meaning if you have a pin position at 3.5% slope and you have it running 13.6 on the stint meter, the ball won't stay. It just won't stay. 
you have to have it under a 3%. So Augusta National has brutally fast greens. But the hole locations are all pitched at 2% or less. So you can have them roll 15-6, 14-6 like they do on Thursday, Friday, 15-6 like on the weekends, and the ball will stay by the hole because it's not overly pitched. It's difficult, but it's it'll stay. But the math, if you, if you tilt that to 3%, a ball will not stay. So we know the math, so it shouldn't be hard to figure out. The uh, the length of the driver, I want to get you to, to elaborate on your position on this because some people want to know exactly what does he mean by this. Explain that your position about the USGA and, and the proposed uh, reduction of the length of a shaft from 48 to 46 inches. So I'm actually using a 46-inch shaft driver now because uh, they're going to roll it back. But the thing is, is that I don't know if there's anything wrong with the game or not. Okay. I don't, I don't know if we need to do something with equipment or not, but sidestepping around the real issue is not the way to do it. And misinterpreting what's actually being said or the data is not the way to do it. We have to be a little bit, uh, there, there's nothing about the data that says going from 48 inches to 46 is, is going to do anything for the game. Uh, a lot of I, I know a lot of amateurs that use 47, 47 and a half inch drivers that get a lot of enjoyment out of creating speed because they don't have the strength. So they use the length of arc. And I think that uh, that is inhibiting and taking away the teachings of Ernest Jones and Bobby Jones back in the early 1900s of swinging the golf club and using the arc to create speed. Now it's such a physical violent sport that um, it's very hard to swing a 48 inch driver as fat when your body's moving as fast as the young guys are, are today. I don't see how the longest guys are going to be using that driver. It's more guys like myself who swing long and, and fluid as well as the amateur players who need it for, for distance uh, that could change in the future. I don't know, but there's no data that, that shows that. So I just wish we were a little bit more methodical in, in our thinking going forward, if there even needs to be a change, but if there does, need to be a change it, it, two inches on the driver length isn't going to do a thing is is the golf ball the thing is that the issue is finding a prototype that the best players in the world can play but also it's not going to have any effect on the performance of an amateur or recreational golfer is that what the solution is so i don't think anybody really knows the exact solution but there are some theories i certainly have a thought that if you were to take away the perimeter weighting of the golf ball which we never used to have until we went to this solid core technology and stabilizes the golf ball the way it does so where the ball curves at first but then that curvature softens because the the weighting on the golf ball has been moved outward from the wound ball technology if you made the core heavier it's going to spin more right just like a basketball spins more than a than a beach volleyball uh, or a beach ball the smaller and more centralized the weight, it's easier going to spin it. It will also spin more offline. This gives the best players in the world an opportunity to separate themselves, right? So you have different opinions in golf. You have the traditionalist, let's say the USJ that wants to uphold the traditions of the game. You have the PJ Tour players, let's say, that want to entertain, showcase the golf to, to uh, the masses and, and make a living doing that. And then you have the amateur golfer and the manufacturers who very much have similar interests in that they want to improve their game with equipment manufacturers want to sell equipment amateurs want to improve their game make it more enjoyable they're kind of on the same page there so you have these three different uh dichotomies of opinions if you will 
and making a more centralized core, heavier core where the golf ball will curve more allows the players, the best players in the world to separate themselves and showcase themselves the way Hogan did through his ball striking. It allows a little bit more of that traditionalism to be upheld by the USGA. And it also doesn't roll anything back. It still gives the best players or the amateur golfers an opportunity to hit the ball far. And because they're not hitting it as far, they're not going to hit it as far offline. And they don't create enough speed and enough spin to really get the ball to side spin offline. I think that's more where we should be looking, in my opinion, and do some of the uh, studies in that direction. But I've never even heard anybody talk about the perimeter uh, perimeter weighting of a golf ball yet. I've known for 20 years that that's been the biggest uh, improvement. You know, since you've been playing, you know, top level major championship golf, global golf for almost three decades, is there an organization, whether it be the Augusta National, the RNA, the USGA, the PGA of America, that consistently does the best job of course setup? So <clears throat> Augusta National works with the same golf course every time. Yep. So they have a huge advantage. <clears throat> and it's it's clearly they're the best because they have the they have the resources and the best people and and it's consistent every year. So um, they're they're by far the best. I think when you're working with different golf courses, you don't have that new know the nuances of the course as well, and it's easy to kind of uh, misjudge a few areas if you don't have that knowledge. And so it's very difficult to find that fine line of challenging the best players in the world, but not crossing that line of goofiness. And it's not easy. It's not an easy job. Uh, Augusta does it by far the best. When you look at where the tour is now, you just wrapped up a, a, a season that I, I think you would agree they did the right thing in starting it when they did. It wound up being a very lengthy season. Is the PJ tour in the right place as far as the way the schedule is constructed? Uh, what do you mean by schedule? Well, as far as having all the fall events, having full points, not knowing the participation of, let's say, the top 10, 15, or 20 players on the PGA Tour, and by the time you guys may start your meter, you may play once, maybe twice in the fall. Is the allocation of points consistent with the balance of the schedule starting at the new year? So uh, I, I don't know exactly uh, if that's the if the wraparound schedule has worked the best or what the schedule should be. Um, I think it's again it's a difficult challenge when you're trying to balance so many different opinions uh, because you want to create jobs and opportunities and if you have sponsors and tournaments, uh, you want to create those opportunities for guys to play for a living, but you also want to not have your best players constantly be overused and then set back six weeks starting the season and give everybody else a head start. That's not really the way to, to treat your, your uh, greatest asset is to constantly put them in a hole. So it's, it's not easy, but I, I'm not a big fan of the wraparound schedule. I like that they're going away from that uh, next year. Mm -hmm. Not that it's going to matter for me in, uh, you know, uh, personally, but I think that uh, you can't constantly be using the top guys like that. And then, set them set them back do you think this alliance with the european tour is going to wind up being beneficial to both parties i know nothing about it i only know what i've read uh okay. you know on on twitter so uh, i really don't <laughs> know what exactly it entails
Okay. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be some co-sanctioned events, BMW PGA being one of them, the one that just concluded the Scottish, an event that you won. So you may have more membership from the PGA Tour. The, the, the player impact program, what did you think of that when that was created? Supportive of it, the $40 million? Um, I think it's a, I think it's a good idea. It's a, it's a, it's a nice start. You know, it's a, it's a difficult, um, situation on the PGA tour relative to other sports because, um, football, baseball, basketball, they have roughly 55% of their revenues going to the players, uh, and they have great representation. And if they have an, a grievance, they go to a, a certain person, but on the PGA tour, we have. 26% of the revenue going to the players. And if we have a grievance, we go to the commissioner who says, ah, I don't really want to pay you anymore. I'm good. So we don't really have a, a vehicle to um, kind of get, make sure the top players are taken care of. And um, we as players use the, the engine of the PGA tour as an opportunity to be successful and make money uh, through our partnerships and corporate partnerships, but we don't make a majority of our revenue at all from the PGA tour that gets dis dis uh, dispersed out uh, in different ways. So uh, for, for instance, you know, we don't own our media rights. Yeah. Yeah. We're independent contractors. We don't own our media rights at all. So anything that's shot during the tournament, the PGA tour owns, puts it up on their mm -hmm. YouTube channel, makes millions off of it. Just like they did that Bryson interview as an example, or a Bryson drive at Bay Hill on six hits it over the water, you have however many millions of views, and that all money goes to the PJ Tour. Bryson has no rights to that video. So there are um, a lot of ways that uh, the top guys are being taken advantage of, and for a for that pit money to, to come in and say, hey, we're going to give some money for the guys that are kind of driving the game. Like, yeah, it sounds like a lot, but uh, in the big scheme of things uh, relative to the percentage of revenue going to the players relative to the media rights that they're constantly being taken advantage of even when they're they're not i mean it's 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 it doesn't even come close to being equitable in my opinion phil i think that the the, the player impact program was a direct uh, reaction to what i think is the existential threat of these these other golf leagues whether it be the one that's english based or the one that's saudi based uh what do you know about where both of those are? Um, I, I don't know what's going to um, come of it, but the competition is, is going to be good. It's going to be good for the good players because for the first time, the, the top players are being valued by the PGA Tour. And the, really the question is, are we so far down the line on on kind of the bullying tactics that have been used to suppress the top players on the PGA Tour to where we can't really fix it internally and you just need to start fresh or is it fixable? I don't know. It, it's hard when you'll have 200 guys on, on the PGA Tour and only four people have a vote. So it's hard to kind of get things right. And I'm not sure that uh, internally we have the structure to kind of fix it, but maybe, I don't know. You're, you're in a position because of your profile globally, you would be as attractive as anybody. How, many, how much conversation have you had with these folks from these different leagues? So I'm always, I'm always interested in trying to make the game of golf better. And I'm, inter and I'm interested, the, 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 over the course of my time on the PGA Tour, 
what I feel we've missed out is the ability for the tour itself to kind of control the player schedule because you don't know what you're selling. So if I'm, or what you're buying, if I'm a sponsor, I don't really know what I'm buying. Like who's playing my event or if I'm television, like I don't really know what it is I'm buying. I'm buying these events, but who's in it. If I'm a fan, like there's not, there's the majors that we have and the players and a couple of these playoff events, maybe where I know the top guys are playing, but, I don't really have the ability as a, as a tour to move those events around internationally to other cities and really grow the game in other areas where the game could potentially grow. So I don't have that ability to take advantage of international sponsors in the same way either. So that's always been a hindrance. And um, that's one of the things that that's going to be a challenge for the new entities because the players also don't want to give up that right to control it. So when you're, when you're young and you're going to have kids and you want to be at the birth of your child, you know, or you want to be at certain big events, that's uh, a sacrifice. And uh, if you give up that sacrifice, like you're going to have to be compensated with bigger purses and better, better sponsor sponsorships of those events uh, that, that compensate you in that way. And so that's kind of the balance that, that is uh, shaking out. And ultimately in the end, Gary, it's going to, the deciding factor will be, is it more enjoyable for the fans? Do the mm. fans like, a new league? Do they like the old league? Uh, if so, why, you know, what is it about it? Do they, do they like the way the PGA tour is structured? Do they want to have uh, events where they, where all the top players have to play and move it around and, and know, you know, know what you're getting. Do they want a team aspect? Cause that's a big part of what they're talking about in these leagues is kind of a, a team aspect. Uh, so that brings that whole other element uh, into the game. Is that something the players want? It's an individual sport. So there's questions like that, but um there's opportunity there. And um, I think it could, I think it could be really good if it works for the fans, like if, if they ultimately want that. A couple more, and then I'll let you get out of here. Uh, you mentioned television. When you've been on television, people have reacted in a very positive way. Uh, were you close maybe within the last year of considering doing a, a, a small schedule of television? And if not now, is it something that you can see possibly on the horizon in five years? I, I have been discussing it. It's something that I think I would be decent at because of the way I see certain things in the game or certain shots that I might be able to articulate uh, and explain and help the viewer understand a little bit differently. But uh, when I won the PGA, it kind of changed because um, – I hadn't been playing great and I started looking at some other options. And then when it clicks, it's like, wow, I really, <laughs> really enjoy this. I really enjoy the competition. Let me see if I can create some more, some more of these special weeks. Uh, as far as the match, you have been the front man uh, for these and they have been effective. The, the different guys that you've uh, brought in, uh, the last one in Montana was spectacular. What's next? So we, we do have a cool uh, thing coming up. It's uh, I, the contracts aren't signed, so I don't want to like jump the gun, but we do have a cool match coming up um, Friday after Thanksgiving. And uh, in this one, um, I'm probably not going to play. I'll probably commentate and see hmm. if I'm any good at it. All right, last thing. The, the thing that I've always uh, appreciated is the, the continued desire to, to get better, uh, whether it's finding a new toy, 
finding some incarnation of a grip on a putter. There's always been something that has driven you forward. It could be a generation of younger players uh, that you spend time with. What is it primarily, though, that has kept your motor running doing this for as long as you have? It's the passion I have for the game of golf. Like, I love the game of golf. And I love everything about it. So I love growing up as a kid when it was raining, hitting golf balls under a palm tree out into an open field when nobody was there. I love playing with my dad. He'd pick me up from school and we'd go, uh, go play till dark. And we would have to hike at Balboa down the Canyon and back up to get to our car in the dark. We'd bring flashlights like uh, the, the opportunity to obviously play and compete against best players in the world. What I love about the game of golf is I can compete with anybody that plays the game of golf with the handicap system. And we can have a fair, fun match uh, with anybody. So I can play with my friends or my buddies and have have fun that way. And the game of golf has given me so much, but I, I just love everything about it. So uh, I look forward every day to, to, to playing and um, seeing new courses, learning from architecture. I just, I just love it. I, I don't really know how to say how or why I have so much passion for it, but it has just given me so much in my life. Well, you're awfully kind. I can't tell you how much I value your time. You're very gracious to, to carve out a little bit of time this morning to be our first guest. Enjoy the rest of the time this week. I know you obviously you got a big role next week. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on, Gary. Well, we say thank you again to Phil Mickelson, our first guest. And when you consider all the topics that he hit on, uh, interesting to hear what he had to say about these potential other golf leagues, not to mention his thoughts on the Ryder Cup and, of course, his career at large. Next week is Ryder Cup week, and right here on Five Clubs Golf, we will have Paul Azinger, who is obviously the lead uh, voice analyst on NBC on Golf Channel, and Dan Hicks, who will be hosting uh, the coverage on NBC as well. So Hicks and Azinger together next Monday right here on Five Clubs Golf. For all of you out there listening, really appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>